0: Well hey there freaks, it's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt. Matt O'Dell and I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Wiz and Steve Jane from the BISC team. Uh, a lot of Best talk in this episode, which is great talk. Uh, the nature of non-custodial exchanges, why they're important, why people should care about their privacy, how the incumbent financial system that we currently are subjected to uh, disregards our privacy and probably makes us uh, worse off in the long run because of all the KYC AML compliance that they put us through. On top of that, we talked about some more stories, uh, throughout the years. Some Wiz is a very fascinating person within Bitcoin in particular. For you guys, are here going to hear some cool stories about, um, the space back in the day, uh, specifically around, uh, the DAO hack and, and the hard fork of Ethereum around that period. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I know I did, I thoroughly did. I was, um, very fortunate to have Wiz in person in the studio. Very gracious uh, for him traveling to come make this happen. Uh, it's very humbling, and and it was great to, to meet these gentlemen in person and hear their story and hear more about BISC. I think you guys are going to like it as well. And I think it is going to be a project that uh, becomes more and more popular in this space uh, years, years to come. We forget how how early on we are here. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. As you know, as you freaks already know, you've been listening to this for a while, Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money. You can stack sats on the app. You can send sats off the app. You can use their boost program to go to a merchant and save money. Uh, You can do it. They're just trying to help you be better with your money. Now... It's the simplest way to try to grow your money. Introducing Cash App Investing. Unlike investing tools that only let you buy entire shares of a stock, Cash App lets you instantly invest as little or as much as you want. We're buying slivers of shares here, freaks. This way, when your favorite company stock is just a little bit too expensive, you can still own a piece uh, with as little as $1. $1. And spend a dollar on a sliver of a share. And because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, there are no four to five day waiting periods for inbound transfers. So you can start investing today. Brokerages, brokerages, brokerage services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC. As always, when you sign up, use the code STACKINGSATS. That's one word. You're now going to get $10 and Cash App will send $10 to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse.
1: who. owls
0: across stacking sats one word pump it share it with your family and friends who have not downloaded the cash app yet let's get owls all the money that we can download the cash app today from the app store or the google play store stacking sats this episode is also brought to you by your good friends at casa freaks how confident are you in your key security how protected are your seed phrases have you gotten set up with a multi-sig yet our friends at Casa have drummed up one of the smartest and most secure ways to hodl your Bitcoin. No KYC, no altcoins, no percentage fees on your Bitcoin. No one's, no one's, no one's standing between you and your keys. Get peace of mind with the one of the world's most secure multisigs. Use the promo code TFTC and you're going to get up to two hundred fifty dollars off your Casa memberships. What's a Casa membership, you ask? Uh, they have different packages depending on how much Bitcoin you want to uh, put in a multi-sig address with them. For serious hodlers, if you're a Diamond or Platinum membership member, you're going to get 24-7 VIP service, dedicated client advisor, and custom onboarding and OPSEC plan. Um, Bitcoin, it, excuse me, CASA is Bitcoin only, focused only on Bitcoin and Lightning and on security only. So email them if you want to figure out how their product works at team.casa They're going to give you a free demo, and you can put them to the test for your hardest offset questions. Again, use the code TFTC to get up to $250 off. If you just want to check out their multi-sig setup, go to keys.casa slash keymaster. Check them out. Use the code TFTC. Secure those Bitcoins. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know Matt and I certainly did. Take care.
2: From the
0: crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here. Thursday. It's Thursday on a Thursday afternoon with two very special guests, two team members from the BISC project. We got Matt Odell as well. Sub freaks. like to introduce you, freaks, to Wiz and Steve Jane. Thank you so much for coming. Hey, Cypherpunks.
2: Hey, <laughs> okay, thanks for having us.
0: Um, yeah, so this is going to be a big BISC episode. We're going to get to BISC. We just had a long conversation. Uh, warming up before we hit record. I think we should start uh, what can segue nicely into BISC is starting with you, Wiz, back, go all the way back to the DAO hack, uh, mining uh, Ethereum Classic after the the hard fork, state transition, hmm. bail out, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's one. So for you freaks that don't know, Wiz is an OG in the space who's done some incredibly cool stuff, this being one of the coolest things, I think, Uh mining ethereum classic to keep the chain alive why did you do it
1: yeah so in case you don't know um ethereum had this smart contract called the DAO. uh it was the socket dow yeah anyway um they got hacked because of some uh horrible security vulnerabilities in their smart contract and this attacker drew out just millions and millions of dollars worth of uh stolen ethereum token and um Of course, the founders of the Slocket DAO, also being um, some of the same people who are founding Ethereum, they said, oh, no problem. We'll just do a hard fork, roll back the transactions, and do a chargeback, and it'll be totally fine. And if you're a cypherpunk, you know that rule number one of cryptocurrencies is that you have this immutable blockchain technology, and you you don't... rollback transactions, you don't do a chargeback, because that would just be like a bank. If your credit card gets hacked, you call up American Express, hey, I got hacked. Oh, no problem, we'll just take it off the bill, right? And this is what Ethereum's trying to do. So me being the guy with a warehouse full of GPUs at the time, you know, it was probably like only 0.2% of the Ethereum mining hash power. I knew that Ethereum, the, the legacy blockchain, um, it was called like Ethereum Classic at the time, I guess we were just coming up with this name would still be around like there's no way this is just going to die out because uh, censorship as a feature is not going to be very popular. And so uh, there's this command line argument on the on the Ethereum node you could do reject DalFork. fork. So I just kept mining on the old uh, consensus rules and my 0.2% on the Ethereum chain became something like 50% on the Ethereum classic chain. And if you actually look in the blockchain, um, there was a period where I was mining like all the blocks. You can see where I mined like 30 something in a row and I was actually 100% of the Ethereum classic hash power. So I don't know if the other guys dropped out or whatever, but I knew this would be extremely profitable because there was this app at the time called BitSquare and they had this uh, Ethereum classic token listed. Do you remember this, uh, Steve, when when, uh, ETC started to be traded on BitSquare?
2: I think that was a little bit before my time. Uh, I think I joined just just after the rename to Bisq,
1: Right, so basically, you, you know, my experience at the time was you download this app and it syncs up to the, the network and it showed me that it, the price discovery at the time was like a dollar. And I was mining like half of all the Ethereum Classic at the time. So, you know, with my electricity bill, this was like a no-brainer for my uh, profitability. So. I cranked up all my miners, all my GPUs to like 120 percent. You know, I'm telling all my guys, go to the fries and buy all the GPUs you can. Like, we're going to just mine the hell out of this ETC thing, and we mined something like 26,000 Ethereum Classic in three days. Holy shit. And then it got mine, and Then it got listed on Playnex, uh at like two dollars, and they went to like four or five bucks. And we were like, oh my god, this is like the best call ever, right? <laughs> like, all the investors are like opening the champagne. You know, like, <laughs> they were really happy. Uh, Then I think it went up to like 40 bucks at the peak. So if the investors kept it and held it and traded properly, that was probably like a
3: million dollar decision to reject censorship. So like the key there was when the fork happened, all the exchanges were went in line with the Ethereum Foundation and Vitalik and stuff. So none of them were listing uh the original chain to begin with, right? And you had to use something this like a, BitSquare or BISC, which later a became co-op. Big running
0: beef I have with Coinbase is that they took like a year and a half to release the that's Ethereum true, Classic. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's exactly it. Um over ninety nine percent of the mining hash power and literally all the exchanges went along with Vitalik. And the only exchange uh, was Bitsquare that was trading the, the ETC token. And then, and then Plinix started trading it. And then it was, it was like, oh, my God, all the users were demanding their exchanges to give them the ETC that was now obviously very valuable.
0: Yeah, and I think you glossed over something there, in slight detail. You said they followed Vitalik. Vitalik literally hopped in a chat room and told the exchanges to stop trading.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> if that's not centralization, you know. Is is Ethereum sufficiently decentralized now, today? Oh, yeah, for sure. Garen's bond barons. Put all your money in Ethereum. In fact, isn't Udi, like, one of their best uh, developer advocates now? Apparently, yes. He's a big Ethereum shill these days.
0: No,
3: he's full-on Tron now. Oh, he's shifted over? Yeah. All right, all right, guys, it's Tron now. Tron is Ethereum 3.0. Yeah. According to Udi.
0: Oh, straight to 3.0. We're not even going to get 2.0. You
3: know, who needs 2.0? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, it'll be interesting. Like, it's funny, because they just... Uh, they just changed their difficulty bomb again. Like,
1: oh yeah, just when's, when's Casper coming again? When's, what was that? A proof of stake they've been working on for five, six years now.
0: I have a long thread, <laughs> uh, a long thread documenting the, uh, the pushbacks of the, the Ethereum roadmap. Uh, it's the reverse Lindy. Uh, the longer you wait, the longer you will be expected to wait for proof of stake. Just keep that in mind, Ethereans. Um, so this event led you to BISC. Right. This is what Bitsqu- was well, that was Bitsquare. my first
1: experience with BISC, yeah. Um, I actually didn't uh, use it after that for until, until a few months, maybe like four or five months ago, I started getting involved in BISC again. Um,
2: Steve, how did you get involved with BISC? I think it was a tweet. I think uh, I remember seeing a tweet about uh, documentation, and uh, I guess I've been into uh, writing and um, wanting. I was wanting that kind of a a roller to do that kind of work. And when I saw, I had been introduced to BISC a couple of months before the tweet. And so I had my eye on the project and I liked what they were doing. And when this opportunity came up to write documentation for the project, I just thought maybe I would uh, give it a try and got to talk to some people in the project, got to see more about how, uh, what they were trying to achieve, how the work was actually getting done, the community, and uh, just got more and more into it. And when was this exactly? this was i found out about the project at the end of 2017 and then i started i think i made my first contribution in early 2018 all
0: right so i think this is a good segue into 724 market down we're going to edit it later um, it's uh, sorry there was some feedback in the air i just started here yeah. um, i get this is a good point to uh give the mark not 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 the marketing pitch but like uh obviously you use BISC to uh, create an ethereum classic market uh back in the day it what, how has the uh, experience changed since then? What is the ethos and
2: what is the current state today? So I guess the ethos is, uh, at least the way I think of it as the game changer, in my opinion, is that it's BISC is taking what, what traditionally is a company that provides a service and has, has turned it into software, a network, um, you know, the common, com, the common kind of phrase, the way we uh, conceptualize it is if, you know, if Bitcoin is, gives you the ability to be your own bank, this gives you the ability to be your own exchange. You're a node on, a, on an exchange network where you can trade Bitcoin for fiat currencies and other cryptocurrencies. And so, you know, this is software, it's open source free software that you can download, build yourself, audit it for yourself from top to bottom, run it. And uh, you know the, the software itself is a, a hidden service, so everything goes over Tor, all data goes over Tor. There are no accounts, user accounts, emails, nothing required. It's just you, your node. You can connect it to your full node, of course, uh, and go to town. You no know, trade, uh, trade Bitcoin. <laughs>
1: I think the biggest thing for me is the incentives. Um, when when you have a company, they Eventually, all pretty much turn out to be evil, right? Even Google started out as this uh, tiny little startup when we're not going to be an evil, and they turn into this huge conglomerate where they're monetizing monetizing users' private data as much as they can. And uh, it's simply because the incentives of the or the interests of the shareholders do not align with the interests of the users. In fact, they're like exact opposites in a lot of cases. But in the case of Bisc, it's a community of individuals, just like Bitcoin. And I'm very bullish on this community of individuals concept because everyone's aligns are perfectly in, incent, uh, perfectly everyone's interests are perfectly aligned. We're all incentivized to build and con- collaborate on this kind of like Wikipedia or um, any of these uh, Creative Commons types of projects. They're just uh, you know p- pure success, right and um, it's like the first model where where you you can um, you can just remove all the the corporate Uh, compliance department there's a lot of uh, government regulations you know just we're not affected by any of this simply because we're individuals running software whereas every other centralized exchange out there would have to comply because they're a company and they have to be evil not necessarily because they want to but because the government is going to force them to and I think a perfect example is like Shapeshift. they started out as this no KYC was like their whole value add and sure enough government puts the gun to their head, they now require a mandatory full KYC. And so the, the way that BISC, uh, you know, maintains its financial self-sovereignty is by not being a company, by being a community of individuals that just collaborate to an open source project where there are no servers, there's no central point of failure, you know. Uh, as, much as, as much as we can, we're always trying to improve the software to make it more censorship resistant
2: and yeah, and it's, there's almost, I think, uh, you could say kind of like a reverse pressure, like because it's an open source code base and not a company that has everything just kind of locked behind it in a black box. If the project were to make a misstep, it would just get forked. So it's like this pressure that, okay, this project is about privacy, security and freedom. And if it doesn't stick to that, it's, it's going to be over. It, it, it's going to be forked. Yeah. So one thing we talk a lot about
0: on this podcast, what you just alluded to with ShapeShift, is these shitcoin casinos get a lot of liquidity. They market themselves as the no KYC, no AML uh, place to trade. Binance is a perfect example. Most recently, they blew up in 2017, and uh, this year strapped KYC, AML on everybody, particularly Americans. Um, now, and not even particularly America, everybody. They, they had a big uh, data dump with people's, um, <clears throat> passports and selfies. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's not good. We don't want that. And that's... So I guess... Where do we want to go to this? Let's... Before we get into the uh, the problems historically that Biscus has with liquidity and UX and bootstrapping and network effects, like, let's get into the idiocy of KYC AML and, like, why collecting all this data is stupid.
2: Steve, do you want to take this one? I mean, where do you even begin? Oh, I guess why why do it i think the the case that's being made traditionally is that it's for your safety we don't want you to be trading with bad people we don't want you mm-hmm. to be scanned by other people we want to keep people safe and think about the children what about the terrorists right. you know gonna, <laughs> exactly We need to get all your private data for this but i think the the foundational reason and the reason that um the approach that BISC takes is it's not really about that. It shouldn't really be about identity It should be more about integrity uh, So verifying integrity as opposed to verifying identity um, So on BISC we just uh, recently implemented account signing with the most major recent release and The idea there is that there were some uh, bank account scammers uh, over the past uh, few months ago where people were using stolen bank accounts to buy Bitcoin on bisque um because there were no checks you pretty much put your bank account information in the software and take a trade or take an offer to to buy bitcoin buy the bitcoin and then turn around and just do a charge the the person who rightfully owned the account would see this charge and then do a charge back and the other person would be scammed Um, so the approach that we've taken to uh to fix that is to devise a way for a bank account owner to prove that they actually own the account. Um, So not submit a passport, not submit whatever, video proof or blood sample, whatever these people are doing these days. Just do a trade. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see blood samples in the future. (laughs) I think Edward Snowden originally made that joke somewhere. (laughs) But um, yeah, just like do a trade. Prove that you actually own this account. Do a successful trade where there isn't a chargeback and you're probably good. And we have other methods coming to verify... But who do you do that first trade with? You would do that first trade with a person who has already been signed. So signed accounts have higher trade limits than, than uh, people who have unsigned accounts. Uh, so you keep them below a threshold, basically, yeah. until then... Yeah, so you're limited re- to 0.01 It's, it's like point a reputation point. system. Kind of.
1: Well, I think... I I I, I would, I would kind of disagree with it. It's more of a security vulnerability mitigation mechanism. Um, the reputation system, uh, uh, we can talk about that in a bit, but in this case, the way it works technically is um, you take your bank account information and you make like a cryptographic digest. It's so like a, you know, SHA-256 hash of it. So nobody can see what your bank account number is, but the hash of it is now locked in. And this gets stored um, in everybody's uh, BISC nodes. And after they see that this data has been on their node for more than one month, and this same account is still around. They know. Well, if he was a scammer, he probably would have got the account closed right. within the, within a month. You know, they would have uh, figured
0: it out. That's so was he's s- using the same bank account. Exactly. That's what that's what I was going to say. this could be uh, the way I envision it. Could be gamed. If somebody just is a good actor in the beginning and then scams people after they get verified.
1: Yeah, them. but but if you do some chargebacks, they're going to figure it out and they're going to close the account within one month. Like either. that's fraud. Sure. Yeah. And and, and you have normal. Yeah, so, and and again, this is only for very insecure payment methods, right? Like, I live in Japan, and, well, Japanese bank transfers don't allow chargebacks because that's a stupid idea. Really? (laughs) I mean, like, I I really honestly don't understand how American or even European banks can just, you can just call them up and be like, oh, yeah, my account got hacked, and they'll, like, reverse all the charges. Again, it's going back to the Ethereum thing, but if you're, like, a merchant and, uh, you know, you ship the goods thinking that you have the money and then the bank takes it out of your account like PayPal and other insecure guys who do this right it's how can you even have a, like a business right they, they put the pressure on the merchant to almost um, vet the customers to make sure that they're not scammers or something right which you can't do in a lot of cases there's you know there's like these high-risk credit card payment processors and it's like this whole other industry for that type of stuff but yeah I mean the account signing is um, it's more of a security for insecure payments to try to make them like a little bit more secure by adding this time delay thing um, I don't know if you want to talk about the, the bonded uh, reputation. Um, this is kind of a feature in, in BISC we haven't uh, used widely so yet, but we're going to add it very soon. The way it works is, um, all right, I want to I be a market maker. I want to do uh, trading on BISC as like my full-time thing. And uh, so to, in order for people to see that I'm not just some random scammer, I'm going to lock up a whole bunch of money in the BISC network itself. And um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna modify the app to have like a score. So if the guy has no money bonded, it's got like a, like a bond, right? So if you do something bad, if you scam people, say I, I trade with Steve and I scam him but I have a bond, he can go to the BISC um, you know, decentralized organization and say you should confiscate this guy's bond because he scammed me. And then you have this very decentralized way of uh, you know, enforcing that. Why am I thinking that Adam Gibson was working on something similar to this? like a bond
0: for like a coin join network too. I don't know. But no, it seems very interesting, right? Well, like I mean, it,
1: that's, that's how things work in like a crypto anarchy system, right? Yeah. If everybody has perfect privacy, you, you have to assume that everyone are like scammers. And so the only way you can kind of steer, steer people into the right thing, just like Bitcoin, you have to financially incentivize good behavior and financially disincentivize the bad behavior. So scammers aren't going to put money out, out of their own pocket and risk, it, risk losing it. Just to you know scam like little trades here and there they 're going to go after some other lower hanging fruit, and that's what the bond system I think really should it just it just prevents all scams basically when you have to put this security deposit
3: and the security deposit the hard part here is interacting with fiat right so like the security deposit that's in I'm assuming in Bitcoin right
1: yes, in, like, and like a
3: multisig or something like that
1: yes there's there's security deposit on each trade which you can figure how many percent you want right. to do, and then there's this bonded um, reputation kind of a system where you can lock up a certain amount of money for like uh, one month or three months or six months, whatever time period you want to do. And then that also like influence your uh, quote unquote reputation score, which we're still implementing right now. And you, you Steve, you want to explain like how the whole trade process works because I think you're really good at explaining that.
2: Uh, I usually trip over myself in trying to do that, but sure. I, um, so essentially you're, uh, I guess it's important to first outline that there is no like order matching on BISC. There is no real single order book. What you see on, in the software when you open it is a collection of offers from other people's nodes who are online at the moment, um, which is kind of the basis of the peer-to-peer network. Every node hosts its own offers and uh, has its own payment accounts. When you want to take an offer on BISC, you, uh, you send a a Bitcoin deposit. Uh, Usually it's about 10 or 20% of the uh, the full trade amount to a multi-sig address. And the other person, the offer maker will do the same. And once that transaction hits one confirmation, the buyer is told to send the money, acknowledge that they've done so in BISC once they have. And then once the seller receives the payment, They'll acknowledge that they've received the payment in Bisc, and at that point, the uh, deposits and the trade, uh, the Bitcoin amount, are routed to the uh, buyer and the seller, appropriately.
1: Yeah, this is a really secure system because for the two parties, the two trade uh, counterparties to enter into a trade at all, to even begin, they would both have to have their funds in the multisig escrow with at least one blockchain confirmation. So, if for some reason the multisig escrow doesn't get confirmed, maybe there was a, you know, there was like an attacker trying to do some invalid thing, then you could never risk losing any of your funds because the funds would never leave your wallet, right? It's it either goes into the escrow or it stays in your wallet. There's no it's either all or nothing. That's the beauty of a multisig escrow on-chain transaction, right? Yeah. And then from there, once they have the funds in the multisig, You just got to deal with the fiat stuff. And as long as you can um, mitigate the security on that, you can make this really uh, smooth trade process. So just
2: really quick, I think it's important to mention for folks who are not familiar with BISC that all non-Bitcoin transactions or transfers happen off of BISC. So when you're doing, when you're sending uh, US dollars or euros or whatever, you're sending it through your bank or through another payment app or whatever, and then just acknowledging that you've done so or received in this.
0: So what is, uh, from the user's perspective, what does their bank think they're doing? Just s- sending money to somebody, a friend they assume is a friend or something like that.
1: Yeah. D- depends on the payment method, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, Japanese bank transfer, um, actually respects the user's privacy. So they don't ask what the bank transfer is for. Uh, in some countries like real totalitarian societies, um, like when you do a bank wire in like USA or
3: no, no really. Like they ask like <laughs> yep. what are the what are the hey, funds for? Yeah, I think
2: Japan is, a, is an anomaly here. In most it, places, you have like a reason for payment. They like strip search you. Dude, and, you I've know, had my thing. bank text me shut down my
0: card and text me like three times in the last month because I yeah. tried to make a tr- use my card somewhere and they're like we think this is
2: suspicious. I'm like no. Yeah, I mean Just they like pretty much my card. Yeah, if they suspect you for any reason, they'll you know. I, I think usually what we what we require is f- or whenever possible for users to put in uh, a trade like a string. A random alphanumeric string that corresponds with the trade um and i think some payment processors seem to have maybe caught on to that uh <laughs> and kind of regard that as suspicious but for the most part they don't say anything
0: yeah i mean you got to be careful on Venmo, right you can't even uh
3: well, you Venmo can't even is-
0: say like the word i ran without getting shut down <laughs>
3: <laughs> how does the, the escrow arbitration work like who is who's controlling the other keys there in
2: the multi-sig besides the two parties so right now, it's so with the, the launch of the most recent version one point two, it's just the traders. It's a two of two multisig. Got it. Um, it used to be two of three, where an arbitrator had a third key, um, but now it's just the traders, and dispute resolution has changed quite a bit.
1: Yeah, Bisc had this. Um, this kind of we should maybe uh, do a little background on the DAO, but uh, basically before the Bisc DAO was launched, there was a two of three multisig escrow where an arbitrator had a third key and he could resolve a dispute between the two parties but obviously this is a trusted third party um and a central point of failure and uh you know we had to get rid of the arbitrator so now that the Bisc dao is online and functioning uh healthy what we did was we removed the arbitrators and now we have mediators only which have no power they it's a two 202 two multisig between the two trade parties so that all the mediator can really do is um, help the newbies when they make a mistake. And this is this is actually the majority of um, issues. Like the actual rate of scamming is very, very low. It's just people who had a bug or they screwed up their wallet or they pressed the wrong button or sh- something like this. And the mediator can resolve most of these disputes. But if the mediator cannot resolve the disputes, like if the other person just disappears, which does kind of happen rarely um, because, you know, they have their money in the security deposit. So Why would they disappear? Right, why would yeah. they disappear? Um, who knows? But... Uh, yeah, they're going to risk losing their security deposit if they disappear. So there's this time lock transaction where I think it's, uh, 10 days for crypto and 20 days for Fiat Yeah. where if the trade is not resolved in this much time after it enters the multi-sig escrow, um, it'll essentially go to this. Um, how do you say like uh donation? Address. Yeah. Donation address. It's, it's kind of like not the right <laughs> word for it, but basically yeah. no, no, but, but it works because, um, the money will get donated to the BISC Dao donation address, but th- what happens is you have this um, kind of like the role formerly known as arbitrator. Maybe you can call him the underwriter now or something, the refund agent, where he'll just buy the um, this, uh, the, the trader's claim. So if you're, so 20 days after this um, trade fails, you're going to get your money back from the arbitrator. He's going to buy your claim. a secondary markets already forming. Right? right, but at 100%, so yeah. you get fully cashed out. And then this... Um, Underwriter guy is going to go to the BISC Dow and ask for a reimbursement for the money that got donated to that donation address mm-hmm. And so he's not a party of your trade at all But if you do have a dispute with this trade party, he will buy you out a hundred percent and then he'll settle it with the Dow on his own time And you so
3: at least the deposit isn't locked forever
1: Right, right. That's yeah. basically what it's yeah because otherwise if um, someone's computer just you know Blew up or something and they weren't able to complete the trade then this would be the the ultimate way of resolving it and, but this way, we're also, like, BISC is, even that BISC underwriter guard, he's not never a party to a trade, right? It's just totally between those two people. Unless it fails, he can buy the claim and, and uh, recover the funds.
2: I think it's important to point out that it, the, the back end might sound a little complex and confusing for a new user, but for a user, it's largely the same as before. Um, you're, you're working with a mediator, and that mediator is going to give you a suggested payout. It's a button. Do I take it or not? Uh, if you take it, trades over, and you get your funds. If not, then you request arbitration, and the arbitrator will just pay you Bitcoin. Right. right. That's it. You don't have to worry about the DAO or reimbursement. Yeah, or I think we going to
1: change the word, the terminology on that because it's not arbitration or, anymore. Yeah. It was just to like not confuse the users. But yeah, we got to change it to like underwriter or so refund fund agent engine, or yeah, something. Yeah.
2: What? Uh,
0: so what type of users are becoming arbiters? Like, is there people seeing this as something that could be profitable in the future? I or think not?
2: one day it could be. Yeah. Um we're coming from a time when arbitrators were highly trusted roles. And so we, and, and also I don't think we need, we have a need for more arbitrators that, or more refund agents at the moment. All right. Um, but as volume grows and as the, the, the network grows in other countries and other regions, and we have a need for more languages, uh, then we'll probably have a marketplace developed for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: fascinating. And so let's jump into the, the clunky side of it. like, or not the clunky side, but like it, What well, BISC has been around for a while, and it's competing with uh, centralized exchanges that make it very easy to buy Bitcoin. What's it been like trying to bootstrap this network effect and, and get it into more people's hands?
2: Probably been a, I I'd call it a long, slow process. Yeah, it's hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's still like you can if you if you open the software, if you open the program at a, you know, a, a bad time in your in your region, you you might not see too many offers. Um, and I think a lot of people get scared away by this, but, um, the one thing that folks should know, I think is that there are a lot of lurkers and if you make an offer, mm. I mean, you'll probably get it taken pretty quickly.
1: That's the thing. Nobody really wants to be the maker, right? Everybody yeah. wants to be the taker, <laughs> but, but yeah, there's, there's a few issues, right? Um, anytime you have a decentralized system, the UX always suffers as a result. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be slower than a centralized system. you you know, your credit card's always going to be faster than, uh, well, meeting someone in Starbucks and exchanging cash or something like this. Right. And, um, and not only does UX suffer, but you have like uh, less liquidity, right? Because you go on a centralized exchange, there's a bazillion offers, the market, uh, very deep in both ways. Whereas on a, you know, local trading pair, like in Japan, we might only have a few offers on the bo- on the offer book at any time. So, you know, you just gotta, everyone wants to be the, the taker, you know, they, they want like the instant result. Like I wanna sell Bitcoin now, let me go to the offers and they'll usually take an offer. So this is, this creates a market maker uh, opportunity, right?
3: It kind of reminds me of Bitcoin in that um, there's really no reason to use Bitcoin until you have no other option, right? And then all of a sudden you mm-hmm. really realize the value of Bitcoin, right? And it's with Bisc, it's a similar idea. Like if if you have a way to get Bitcoin without KYC, uh quicker you know centralized like you'll do it but as we see kyc get implemented you know throughout the world we saw local bitcoins add kyc uh then people come to bis because that is their only option right that's the
1: only option for a lot of people uh for example in japan the centralized exchanges are only allowed to trade uh, a few coins that the government has has white and um they don't want to whitelist monero because it has privacy so for some uh, things, like if you want to trade Monero in Japan, your only option is BISC, even in a free country like Japan. So uh, it's already the only option. Or like me with the Ethereum Classic story earlier, like before any centralized exchange listed it, BitSquare was, was the
3: first. Yeah, I mean, it works even better with altcoins, right? Because the whole, the fiat, the fiat ramp is a major pain point in general. I'm not a huge so, fan yeah. of the altcoins.
1: Uh, yeah. I've I'm, I'm always been... You know more maximalist but, guy. But,
3: but in terms of actual like cryptographic enforcement and whatnot oh yeah I mean that's the like, easiest that's, to yeah. prove
1: a trade dispute You either sent the money or not here's the exactly. blockchain block explorer link right it's the fiat stuff that's always a pain in the butt but you know you can you can work around that there's uh, there's different payment methods that we support you know we, we try to do something more creative um, with gift cards or something like this that would be really cool if we figure this out so is
3: there any stable coin integration is there any like tether? Any, we had tether, tether, markets? but
1: nobody traded it, so I think got delisted.
3: Yeah, there were
2: like I think like two or three, but they yeah, I don't think there was any volume was on
0: them. them. Um, Matt, you mentioned local Bitcoin. Is that in KYC? Did you guys see like an influx of, of users after that? Oh
1: yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons why I joined the project. Like, uh, it probably was like five months ago. Like so in Japan, uh, in Tokyo, our local Bitcoin community, we have a, a really cool meetup group of cypherpunk people, and um, we actually just use local Bitcoins as like a Excel sheet. Um, we didn't actually use the custodial escrow because uh, nobody wanted to trust local bitcoins. And there's there's no real crime in Tokyo. So you can just meet someone in a Starbucks, exchange thousands of dollars, never have any issue. Um, That's crazy. I mean, you know, it's just. Um, Sitting here in New York City, it's like. Oh. Yeah, in New York City, yeah, <laughs> Quite the difference. But um, local bitcoins shut down the face to face cash uh, offer book. And so we lost our Excel sh- uh, spreadsheet. So I actually went to BISC and I was like, we actually just want like a decentralized Excel sheet, if we could just have that offer book. And if you look at the, the JPY offer book now, there's some guys doing that where they put like a one yen buy offer. And then they put a note that says, just email me with, because uh, they don't want to use the uh, security escrow features of BISC. They don't want to pay the trading fees. And that's fine too, right? It's like, it's a censorship resistant, uh, you know, like how is the government like going to censor this message, right?
0: Well, that's a big assumption we've been making on this podcast that people will meet on local Bitcoins or something like BISC once or twice and just have that connect and use them directly? Is that something that you've
1: seen in your? So I have a lot of friends who are, uh, market makers on Bisc, actually. And, um, they generally want to keep trading. If they meet someone on Bisc, they generally want to keep trading on Bisc, Even if they, um, kind of trust each other a little bit, just because all the security, uh, mitigations are in place. Like, um, yeah, maybe we do a lot of business together. But why would I want to just stop using multi-sig escrow, which guarantees my security in the case that you screw me over, right? It's like the the risk-benefit analysis is like, oh, I guess we could save maybe a dollar on the trading fee, but I would lose all my protections, right? Don't trust verify, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, So
0: how do we see this moving forward? Like, Are you guys bullish on BISC right now? (laughs) (laughs) You got the DAO. So let's talk about the DAO. You got the DAO token, and this is basically trying to incentivize people to build stuff out. Correct bounties and.
2: That's part of it. I would say that I would say it's a little bit bigger than that. Yeah. Would, and this, this, the DAO, I think, is a big reason that I've been so fascinated by the project. And, then, and let's preface this: this is a, this is a DAO.
0: Is this a shit coin? Is this? Uh... Yeah, let's talk about
2: the token. <laughs> <laughs> Colored Bitcoin is uh, how we've uh, kind of. Preferred to refer to it lately.
1: Yeah, there wasn't there was no like ICO or anything right. like this. And to use Bisc, you don't need to use the BSQ. It's actually mostly for the contributors to use internally. But I, the way I like to explain it is that um, when you pay your when you pay your trading fees, you can choose to pay them in Bitcoin or you can choose to pay them in BSQ. And if you um, pay with BSQ, then this BSQ just gets decolored back into normal satoshis. And so you're, uh, you know, you're burning this BSQ from the supply. And the only way BSQ gets issued is uh, by the contributors because there's no BISC company to do some BISC ICO scam. It's just uh, the contributors, say if I, I implemented like dark mode into the app or something like this, maybe I get like a few thousand uh, BSQ. And now I can go on the, the BISC exchange and sell my BSQ to the, the customers, the users, the traders, um, and get Bitcoin to you know, pay my rent or my other living expenses and They're going to use that to pay their trading fees So it's this very cool like closed loop economy where the users trading fees are directly going to pay the contributors living expenses
3: But who issues that BSQ to the contributor who created dark mode or so that? it's
1: a it's a colored Bitcoin so I'm taking my own Bitcoin my own Satoshi's and I'm uh, creating a proposal in our DAO governance this system and if Steve approves my compensation request, my satoshis will be colored into BSQ, and so they they only exist on the Bitcoin blockchain, and they're they're just Sats, but they're in a different uh, wallet now. And I can trade this BSQ to somebody else who has the same BSQ colored Bitcoin wallet, and um, you know it's built into the business. Right. So
3: I guess my question is, who approves that oh, proposal? The DAO, the,
1: everybody. It's a vote. It's so a, it's like
3: there's a voting system.
1: Right. You want to explain that to you?
2: Yeah, so it's it's a um, uh, you can think of it like yeah like a voting system where uh, so that the, for example the proposal uh, kind of thing that that was just mentioned is a Bitcoin transaction. You would uh, you would ask for you know say I, I did this much work this month and I think I deserve this much in BSQ compensation. You would uh, make a proposal transaction with that request along with the Sats that you would need to make to produce that quantity of BSQ. Right. And then in the voting, the next round, the next phase of the process is a voting cycle where each, each person in the community who wants to vote will go through the lists of proposals that were made in that cycle and yay or nay, accept or reject each one. And that's weighted based on how much BSQ they have? Is yeah. that how that works? It's a, there's a little bit more to it, but yeah, pretty much how much you have and how much you've earned. And uh, Earned BSQ is worth a little bit more than bought BSQ to prevent against whales from coming in and just. So buy. contributors have more
3: of a vote, basically. Yeah. Skin in the game, right? Makes Skin sense. in the game, exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, then, so do you see this evolving like beyond cryptocurrencies?
1: Yeah, you could take the DAO model and apply it to other open source projects, right? Because, um, I guess I guess the critical component is that Bisc is its own exchange, so it can trade its own, uh, you know, colored Bitcoin token on its own, on itself. Which is probably a really um, critical point, but you know, you could take uh, your open source project, and for everybody who contributes to your open source project, you issue them a token, and then you know you have to have this closed loop economy somehow, so they have to have some way of like burning or redeeming the token for something else, right? You know, for example, with BTC Pay Server, <coughs> maybe they could, um, you know, they have a foundation now, so in theory, they could make like a DAO that. Uh, color some bitcoins to the contributors. And then for the users, if they want to donate, they could just buy these tokens from the contributors and burn them. And then that would be um, you know, directly
2: sending the contributors money based on how much they contributed. That's what I think is really cool about the, about the mechanism. Like, it goes back to what Wiz was saying earlier about companies and how their incentive structures are often flawed, mm. especially when you get to a really big scale. With, uh, with the BISC DAO, the entire project is uh, responsible to its users. And the DAO like, constantly enforces that. It's not, it doesn't have a set of investors that it needs to please just for the sake of making another dollar. It has a set of principles that the users use the software for. And the whole DAO incentive structure just enforces that yeah. and requires the software just to become better in those particular respects.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's a shame too, because the uh, ICO boom uh, the Dow in particular sort of... Uh, the socket Dow, Yeah, leaves a shit stain on
2: the concept of a DAO. And, For sure, yeah. Uh, and scares a lot of people away yeah. from that It's like, like the first companies. Like I just think of a DAO as a, as a kind of a structure. Like the first companies, there were a lot of really bad companies that started out. And if, if we looked at companies then as this evil thing that could never be done in a different way, could never be done better, then we wouldn't have the companies that we have today and the progress that we have today. Um, so I think, yeah, there were certainly missteps with Dows. I think even the ethereum foundation sure pointed thing. out a lot of like fundamental flaws in the
1: financial uh, Economics of the dislocate DAO. like they basically said, you know, there's no there's there's no way even if the The Dow were to somehow invest in a project that made some profits or some returns There was like no way to funnel those returns back to the investor. It was just like it was just a scam I mean at the end of the day the, everyone lost their money right and how and, much did they raise? raised like 150 million for fucking like automated locks <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't even work. And it was, you know, security vulnerabilities. Like, literally, the guy was like, oh, no, we're totally not. Stephen a- the tool tool. <laughs> yeah, we're not vulnerable to this. You know, and then sure enough, next week, oh, actually, uh, we lost all the money. We're going to need you to stop trading, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and so
0: do you think we will? I mean, you, uh, we obviously are trying to flesh out a Dow here with BISC. Like, uh, do you? see BISC DAO model as a uh something that could sort of save the uh image of DAOs in particular?
1: Well it's profitable, right? You like like the BISC is the BISC DAO is profitable in the sense that if it issues, you know, fifty thousand BSQ each month and the traders are burning fifty thousand BSQ each month, you know, it's it's uh it has like it's like an actual profitable business. You know, this is sustainable. It's not like one of these ICO scams where they just sell millions of dollars worth of tokens and then deliver nothing and promise the world you know
3: well the key here is i feel like exchange tokens are one of the few things that have very straightforward utility right so like you actually pay fee you can pay fees with the bsq token so it's like very easy to put it in a circular like create like a little circular economy there maybe you
2: could i guess i don't
3: know of any other other exchange tokens that the-
2: have this kind of cycle
3: so, yeah.
1: what do you guys think about BNB and Leo? Well, no, but that's a totally—it's like apples and oranges, right? Because yeah. they're doing an ICO. They're like, they like—they have a company that's just printing the, the tokens, right. like by the billions or whatever. You know, they have market maker trading bots. You know, th- it's, this is like Bisca's is really peer to peer. You're literally buying the tokens directly right. from the contributor. And
2: also, there's a loop. Like, I think what, I mean, from what I know about BNB, it's like to- the token was issued, and like, yeah, you can use it to pay fees, and you can u- use it to do other things, supposedly. Maybe use I other. saw you could buy
1: champagne in a club in Vegas. <laughs> Something game. like that. Yeah. yeah.
2: Vegas clubs are accepting B and B. But like <laughs> ultimately, what's the use case for it? You know, there it's not really benefiting the, the Binance combined. Binance C Z pockets. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right, it's like faux equity or whatever. Right. No, but with this, really... there's actually an other side where, mm-hmm. you know, there's it's actually funding the project. There right. is no other source of capital, there is nothing else. It's That's true. The BSQ
3: but the key there, but I, the obviously is completely different than BNB or Leo, but mm-hmm. the key is that utility of the fees, right? That's what I'm, I'm trying to say. It's like one of these things is like everyone kept talking about utility tokens, utility tokens, utility tokens. And really at the end of the day, no one has any incentive to hold these tokens, right? But with BSQ, there's like a real usage well, of it, right? Because you can pay the fees.
1: It's, it's actually very, like the economics of BSQ are actually really complex. And... Um, so for example if you pay your trading fees in bitcoin they essentially go to this um what might as well just be a trading bot that takes the bitcoin and buys bsq off the market and just burns it in a cryptographically provable way and this in a way um this actually combines the utility token purpose of bsq for the trading fees with the kind of like the shares or or ownership is the wrong word but the stakeholders of the bsq and these are the people who are Essentially investing in the BISC project. Because if you want to invest in BISC, you could just buy BSQ and hold it. And because of this um closed loop system, as I mentioned before, like if you're issuing fifty thousand BSQ, but BISC gets really popular and the trading volume goes up by ten X and now um you know the traders are burning five hundred thousand BSQ just because there's ten X more trading volume. Well now there's a huge demand for BSQ and um that's gonna make the users you know maybe some of them are going to pay it in bitcoin now or we have the dow has to adjust the trading fees in bsq to go down to kind of balance it up but it, but at the end of the day these profits will be realized by the the price of bsq going up and for the the contributors who are holding bsq it's kind of like getting sweat equity in a way and if you want to invest in Bisc, you know you can do this so it has the utility token purpose it has this uh stakeholder purpose it has this voting governance right, purpose bonding. yeah whereas bnb is just shitcoin. Right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> And, yeah, BNB is just a shit coin.
0: It's, but it's crazy how, like, it, so I guess what we should hop in here, too, is, like, the cypherpunk values versus the uh, make-as-much-money-as-possible values, which you know, a lot of these exchanges exude, um, right? Like, yeah. And so we have a path, like I've been saying this a lot on this podcast. I believe we have a path, and we have two paths to choose from. Like, we either have... A Chinese uh, surveillance state exported to the rest of the world like we were just talking about a rabbit hole recap but here in New York they're talking about facial recognition in the subway system like, and stuff like that and then we can do that or go towards the best completely decentralized but it's gonna be harder right like so how do we incentivize people to go to hard route
1: well first of all we have to improve the UX because uh, right now um, you have to run it on a comp- like a desktop computer or laptop and it has to be running like 24 hours, basically like a Bitcoin node or a, a Lightning node maybe. It's actually, Lightning is a really good um, analogy for BISC because they're both built on top of Bitcoin and they both use Bitcoin as like this layer one thing and Lightning and the BISC network are both kind of like layer two. And um, you know, you, instead of uh, payment channels, you have like trade channels which are these multi-sig escrow and uh, you also have time locks and all these things. So there's a lot of similarities. But um, I don't know what do you think, Steve. Like, where, like, how do we, how do we make it? Because I think the mobile app is probably the coolest way. So this is this is one thing that uh, I'm really uh, pushing for in the in the Bisc project now is that um, I figured out this architecture where we can make Bisc run on an Android phone. Um, it's kind of technical details, but long story short, I want to be able to have a Bitcoin meetup in a bar and say, okay, guys, install this app on your phone and just be up and running on BISC like right away. And I feel that's a good way to probably increase the user base by 5X or 10X, hopefully.
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely agree with that That uh, UX is a is a huge part of it, um, both in terms of availability and platforms, yeah. But and yeah. I'm sorry, I'll let you finish then I got a question. Sure. Oh, um, I, was gonna, I was just gonna add that also in terms of the, the UX and the software, like I know a lot of people, surprisingly a lot of people have heard about BISC and they've downloaded BISC, who I've spoken to, but they've never actually used it. They open it and they go, they're just immediately like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's breeze. a little overwhelming. It's a little overwhelming. And um, I've seen some mock-ups from our designer for a, uh, an overhaul of the, of the UX mm-hmm. that like, you know, guides people when they open the software for the first time, step by step. What do I do now? What's the first thing? How do you create a payment account? How do I make an offer? And just guide them step by step. Um, things you, like that. I think making... Making the key actions more obvious
0: Well What I'm really trying to get at here Is like So even if the UX does improve Will it ever get to the point Where it's on par With these centralized exchanges And if not How do we convince
2: people To take the harder route Right I think a lot of that Is just going to be automatic Like you're yeah. just going to need to you're, you're just You're just not going to want to put up with Whatever the centralized Well you don't even is. have an option It's your only right. option Yeah
1: Yeah if you want to go to China right now uh, They have these really strict capital controls And uh, I heard that the reason why they're um, making their own cryptocurrency is so that they can basically censor Bitcoin and the others, force these, I mean the same thing they did with the internet, right? They want to force people to use their government controlled cryptocurrency so that they can enforce their capital controls on this uh, cryptocurrency as well. And yeah, China just announced their, uh,
0: what was it, selective anonymity? In there, in there. <laughs> government double shape? speak. Yeah.
3: yeah, it's they have like a honey and stick approach where they they ban something and then they give you like right a good enough alternative. They have all the Google, the, like the Google yeah. competitors and stuff, yeah. WeChat, we, Weibo, um, and so they give you some kind of tool that you can use, and you, people just use it out of convenience. Well, you
1: get all the benefits of that uh, centralized UX and all the uh, totalitarianism of the the Chinese government to. Uh, you know, social credit score, and even in the USA, it like it's trending towards that here. Oh yeah, try to rent a hotel yeah. room or, or a car without a credit card, and uh, try getting a credit card without a credit score. You know, this, it's not it's not a social credit score, but you. It, it's a slippery slope towards. Yeah, it's that. a slippery slope, right? It's like in in the Bitcoin world, this this concepts just don't exist, right? In the Bisc world, you know, there, you your your identity is just this string of uh letters and onion address right They're like if you have perfect privacy it's uh it's pretty easy to have perfect freedom because
3: nobody knows who you are nobody knows what you're doing and they just can't uh regulate you right so we talked about some of the pain points of ux but i think one of the cool parts of bisque which i want to see go to more software in this space is that it's got Tor bundled in. So you you boot it up, it's an actual node in the network It's connecting P2P through Tor. And then when you have an update, that update not only gets delivered to you through Tor, but the previous software you installed then verifies uh, the PGP signature for you since almost nobody is verifying these (laughs) signatures. So at least you know, if you have the previous software and the previous software wasn't malicious that the next update you get is a legitimate update. I think that's really fucking cool.
1: Yeah, is written by Cypherpunks for Cypherpunks, but we try to make the UX nice enough so that even newbies can, can use it. How many people are contributing right now? Not enough. Yeah,
2: that's that's the easy answer. I mean, I guess you could say consistent contributors probably 15 to 20. Yeah. Might be my guess. Yeah. Well, there are a lot more people, but just consistently about that much.
1: There's some people doing like translations yeah. or like kind of lesser roles, but then the core developer team is quite small. Um What's the stack look like? Uh right now it's this uh Java JVM thing we got. Um The original founder of the project was like a Java guy, so um He's not really active these days he's just probably pretty much totally out of it actually but um you know we're still maintaining the java code base and uh you know it 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 took Bisc like five years to get to this point right Bisc is not new just to get to it's one been point, around for a minute yeah i mean it it launched like so it was in development since five years ago it launched three years ago and then the dow launched about seven months ago
2: yeah april
1: yeah eight months ago so if you really if you figure that it took five years just to get to this v one point two where we're just able now to do like trading in this decentralized way even with all the pain points like um you know like we we did a feasibility study to kind of re-implement the code and at the end of the day we realized um you know we kind of you know it was it was a hard decision but we came back and said yeah let's let's keep working with the java app for now I think probably when we do like the v two trade protocol, which is a whole discussion in itself um you know, it, basically we try to get rid of the on-chain transactions entirely at that point. Well, because eventually the, the Bitcoin blocks will get full and we'll have to, uh, you know, Lightning has a similar issue, right, where if you have to pay a $100 fee to open a channel with someone, then, uh, you know. Yeah. So how are you guys preparing for this? Um, everybody would be bonded, basically. And there would be no security deposits and no on-chain multi-sig escrow. That's the short summary, but uh, easier said than done. Yeah.
0: No, so let's jump into the fee debate. We actually just talked about that as well
1: in the podcast we just recorded. Like, Are you worried? Do you think a fee market will develop? Oh, it has to. Do but, you, I mean, Satoshi intentionally like uh, built this into the protocol. This is how the miners get compensated after the block subsidy goes down. But will people pay the fees? Of course they will. Will,
0: will it happen? There's a, there's a lot of FUD out there.
1: Yeah, let them fudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, what, what gives you this confidence? Just because you've been around for a while, the fact that you've
1: mined I mean, for so when long. when Bitmain and uh, Wujihan were intentionally spamming the Bitcoin blockchain with their own uh, high fee transactions because they were fifty percent of the hash rate and they were getting half of those high fees back, um, users were still using Bitcoin, and they didn't fall for the B Cash fud. You know, they didn't fall for B Cash is the real Bitcoin like propaganda, despite the millions of dollars of marketing backing it right like users are not dumb especially when it comes to their own money you know maybe maybe you can fool like uh half of a country's population into voting for a corrupt politician but when it comes to like fooling cypherpunks with their hard-earned uh, satoshis they're not so gullible you know they're gonna they're gonna verify they're not just gonna trust whatever you say
0: yeah no i agree i mean the um the Debate around the fee market developing in the future is intellectually masturbatory in my in my opinion it,
1: it, well it's, it's not a debate it's a science here it's like you know we hit this is like bitcoin's like this peer reviewed science uh debating is what politicians do you know this yeah. isn't this isn't like theory it's it's already developing you yeah know?
3: there's another element here too right because do Am I mistaken, or is every Bisc transaction has an on-chain footprint? Right? There's a privacy element. Exactly. So
1: th- that's another big uh, advantage of the V2 protocol, which is still highly, uh, you know, in discussion and con- not even conceptually solid at this point. But right, if you do the totally uh, V2 off-chain trading protocol, you could just use Lightning to trade. Right. And then um, you know you would trade through the Lightning network, and you would do some other fiat transaction on the side. And because you're both bonded, um, if there's any dispute, you can go to the uh, refund agents or whatever that we decide to call it in the future. You know, in mediation, you would still have this. So it, it's, it's evolving slowly to kind of um, grow with Bitcoin or to kind of scale with it. But yeah, right now every BISC trade is like four on-chain transactions, which is very inefficient and, and un- unoptimized. So, you know, we have to, we have a lot of work to do. And you um, can
3: tell, you can tell it's a BISC transaction, right? Like if you get, bitcoin that bitcoin on chain you can see that it's is it va- from bisque right like a vanity i mean i'm
1: sure there are some very evil blockchain analysis companies out there that have already identified the Bisc signature on the blockchain right. and they're already indexing it uh and i wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to like blacklist bitcoins that are traded through Bisc because you know we're somehow evil for protecting users privacy exactly. right it's yeah. uh yeah we got to we got to improve the privacy we got to improve the security we got to improve the on chain. How, fun, on-chain how funny is that? Evil for protecting privacy. That's how ass backwards it is today, right? It it really is, it
0: really is. Yeah. Let's get a little cosmic here. Like, why the fuck
1: are people okay with not having privacy? Right. Today? It's like, what if KYC is the illicit activity, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: We talk about this a lot, and it's just. Um, they, they make up all this propaganda about why they have to know what you're doing, they, why they have to invade your privacy for security. But if we can implement security on top of Bitcoin with privacy, without sacrificing your privacy, then you can keep your freedom and uh, avoid that entire uh banking system, the central banking system. You
3: know. Yeah. And the KYC isn't even effective because you can either get leaked, stolen KYC data, or you can buy it. There's like a whole market now that where you could buy KYC data from like people in third world countries. I kind of noticed like two months ago that soul cycle leaked my data. I've never like, I've never even like your confession. You were, you're doing SoulCycle cycle for a while. I no, God, no, I can't. I tore
0: my ACL. I never got it fix. I can't like stand up on those bikes. Um, Pay cash. Yeah. Pay cash, especially when you go to dinner with Bitcoiners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so moving away from Bisc, like for a little bit here, like Wiz in particular, what are your thoughts on the current state of Bitcoin? Like you've been around for a while. You've seen a lot. Has Bitcoin exceeded your expectations, underperformed your expectations?
1: I think in our lifetimes, uh, Bitcoin is probably the coolest thing that we could work on. Uh, honestly like in the previous generation it was probably like the internet well, or maybe even the beginning of the web was the coolest thing you could work on but now uh the internet is basically like 100 percent of the world almost um literally everyone has like a smartphone in their pocket connected to a high-speed network even the third world countries are really uh advancing with their mobile networks and so we now can build the next layer and there's all these uh you know, theres there's some apps on the internet already that were very successful, like communications. You know, nobody writes letters through the postal system anymore to communicate. We just text each other or whatever. And uh, you know Wikipedia for some kind of information exchange, um, or some kind of cat photos on Facebook or whatever people do. But now we have money as an app. And in a very secure way and very decentralized way, like the internet was designed to. And so, you know, we can escape out of this uh, fiat debt slavery, and we can we can really push the human race forward. What made you this way?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what uh
1: born this way? Were you like? So, so, what were you into? Like, what? I dropped out of school at fourteen to uh, be a network engineer at this ISP startup, configuring like Cisco routers. I grew up working in the data center, uh, consulting for random people, and in, in Hawaii, where I'm from. And uh, I moved to Japan when I was twenty, and I was always the rebel i never wanted to conform to any system or society or take a real job i always wanted to be the freelancer or the entrepreneur and uh once you get a taste of freedom you can never go back to working for a nine to five job you know where you get your fiat paycheck and half the money's taken for taxes and all this other stuff yeah once you get a taste of freedom with bitcoin and bisque man once you start trading on Bisc, like You, you know, you sign up for a centralized exchange. You're like, you want me to do what ID selfie? You just delete the app because once you get a taste of this, uh, better system, you know, you look at the, the existing stuff, like this is rubbish. Who's going to use this, you know? Yeah. And so
0: that explains why you, you're able to build your own internet service provider. You grew up working. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've,
1: I've, I've, I've got gear in that data center. That's like, uh. Probably like fifteen twenty years old. I got like a whole museum of old servers in there and new stuff too. Um, like Bisc has a few, um, not not trusted, but they have like data relay nodes where they're not they're not trusted by the network, but they um, they just relay encrypted and signed data without knowing what it is. Um, there's like some seed nodes and stuff like this. Bitcoin has this too. Uh, Bitcoin nice. has seed nodes, yeah. and so I run a few of those on my uh, on my ISP, which is basically just for BISC these days. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you got if you want to be censorship-resistant, you can't host this kind of stuff on Google, right? Do you see uh, a breaking up of the ISP world at all in
0: the future? Uh, like,
1: I don't know. There's, there's, not, there's not a huge need for that because um, if, as long as you can run Tor, you can kind of run your own virtual ISP, right? Like, you don't need to register a domain name. You just create an Onion address, which is just a cryptographic key. And... Um, You know, if your ISP is uh, doing surveillance on you or censorship on you, well, yeah, just use a Tor or use some kind of VPN, you know, which Tor is basically a decentralized VPN network. Um, We don't have to trust people so much. I mean, there's there's not a huge need to build a new Layer 1 when you can build this virtual Layer 1 on top of a maybe slightly compromised Layer 1, right? It's like Tails on on top of the ISP's Tor, like, Yeah, you can you can you can do all kinds of cool stuff these days, right? Like you can um like put tails on a USB stick and boot it up and yeah. do your secure stuff and then go back to your probably backdoor to NSA, you know This thing. Yeah, this MacBook you got right here. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. wrong with it. It's just I mean like personally I have like a, a pair of devices for everything. I have like the iPhone which is you know, totally rooted by Apple and uh you know have some like twitter and what are you talking about they're all about privacy man <laughs> right just like the apple credit card right which is uh what a, what a joke it's 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 just another credit card right i mean they, they
0: it is actually crazy seeing all these big tech companies pivot towards becoming banking services as well, well. we'll
2: just announced checking accounts right? yeah yeah
0: <laughs> well and in their defense like they should go further they're, they're able to out-compete the banks like from an iterative ux process and the banks are so uh, beholden to regulations that they might as well go eat their lunch,
1: right? It's so weird. I have, I have a bunch of friends who work at Google in Tokyo and um, I was talking to them about Bitcoin stuff and they they don't understand why anyone would use Bitcoin because it's so slow and you have to wait 10 minutes for the confirmation. And I'm like, wow, you live in this like corporate bubble. Like you really don't understand that users don't want to have to trust Google with their security privacy and freedom they want to you know be able to verify their own open source software and just run it on their own hardware and have their money secured by their own private keys like this once once mainstream uh users start adopting this they're not going to want it you know the ux has to catch up but once it gets there it's going to be like a like a waterfall like everyone's just going to be like oh you're still running that centralized thing it's like it's like going to the post office right
0: it feels like i mean
1: Another big topic on this podcast,
0: like trying to put, we, us, the people who are born in this day and age in the context of a bigger history, right? I I was born in the 90s. The internet was just coming up and it feels like we're building out this digital infrastructure, which may take five to seven decades. We're already, how many decades in? And so do you see a point are we're basically just building infrastructure and a new system that will be somewhat uh, on cruise control at some point in our lives. And how does that change the world if so?
1: Well, how long did it take for the early days of the internet or the ARPANET um, to get to like this hundred percent where everyone has the internet in their pocket probably like a good 30 plus years for all this infrastructure to be built. And, you know, the internet still has tons of technical debt, like IPv4 addresses are, you know, uh, totally running out of the supply and, um, It'll probably take another 20, 30 years for everyone to make the switch to IPv6, right, for example. Right. And so there's, there's all these kind of uh, legacy things, and it always takes a long time. Once something's like good enough and kind of working, you know, this is the problem with the banking system, right, is that people don't see it. The funny thing is you go to like Venezuela or Zimbabwe, they, it's like common knowledge. It's like obvious to them why you would never use the fiat currency, right? but uh if you go to like other countries like oh no we love our fiat currency we think it's the coolest thing ever and uh like japan is an extremely challenging market to try and uh advocate for bitcoin or Bisc, right because in japan the banks are so efficient like literally i can transfer money from my bank account to Bitflyer like less than five minutes do a trade uh and get the bitcoin in my wallet like another five minutes later it's like you know round-trip trade time like less than 10 minutes how would Bisc ever fix this if it's doing like an on-chain transaction or it's doing this uh thing right so until we get the v2 trade protocol up and running which is totally on lightning and after you know we have to build all this stuff then we have to make the app really slick and make it on the same level I mean these guys are VC funded right Bisc can't get VC funding to hire a whole team of developers because if we had to get VC funding, we'd have to make a company, and then we wouldn't be censorship resistant. So we have to make all these sacrifices to just you know, be able to uh, not have to comply with all these evil KYC government regulations. And um, it'll take us a while to do it, but yeah, we will, we will build the infrastructure that will power the next generation of basically how the world runs. The internet was this founding layer. And next it's going to be Bitcoin, then Lightning, and maybe BISC will even be like Layer 3 by then, right? Um, If BISC runs on top of Lightning instead of Layer 1 Bitcoin, you know, it's just building up the stack. Yeah, yeah. I envision like a total future where… where everyone's running like either Raspberry Pi or even a, a, just an iPhone or some, or some Android phone where they have a Bitcoin full node, a light, Lightning full node, a uh, BISC full node, and a BTC pay server so they can do merchant processing. Maybe like a few other apps like a Block Explorer, Mempool Visualizer. Like these would all just be apps on a phone, right? And it would be so simple to just, oh yeah, install these 10 apps and yeah, you have financial self sovereignty. You don't need any banks, you don't need any government ID, you don't need to pay taxes, you don't need to do any of this. Uh, legacy stuff you know it's like going to the post office and putting a stamp on a letter just to communicate with someone you have to pay like 50 cents per message it's kind of it's kind of hilarious now but that is literally how the world ran for hundreds of years right thousands of years even i don't know yeah
0: yeah sounds um, like a dream do you think we'll we'll benefit from uh this vision scene out to fruition or do you think uh that'll be a generation or two after us
1: no, we always think, we, engineers always think we can build it in like probably one third of the time it actually takes, right? Mm. Um, and I think that's why like a lot of Bitcoin early adopters were like over bullish. Even me with my own like Bitcoin mining business, I was like way, you know, a way too over leveraged on the miners or something like this. And, uh, you know, but eventually um, we learn, We make the we make the hard mistakes, we learn the lessons the hard way and then we keep at it. You know, cypherpunks don't really give up. They just kind of, keep writing this code. I mean, how long did it take Bisc? Like five years to get to this point. It's going to take another five years to get to the next milestone of everyone has Bisc in their pocket or something. I don't know, right? Yeah. I mean, how, how long has Bitcoin been around? About 11 years now? Almost. And uh, still, like what, one, maybe, maybe there's some more common apps like Cash App or something now that has more Bitcoin stuff, but it's like very slowly getting into the, like this mainstream.
3: Disclaimer, Cash is a sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> That's a joke we do here. Um, yeah. they are a sponsor of the podcast
1: <laughs> i tried to use the app but uh, i guess you need like a government id to use it so i couldn't use it yeah, yeah. and it's
3: us only wait so you don't have a government ID? well
1: not from the us
3: yeah the... it's us only yeah,
1: yeah. oh wait like you need like a driver's license and i don't have a driver's license yeah. here
3: but like both cash app and bisque play important roles in mainstream adoption in completely opposite ways right like the idea that you could have the number one finance app on the app store accepting Bitcoin and allowing you to buy Bitcoin and allowing you to spend Bitcoin with their like credit card, debit card, you know, processing uh, is a game changer. And then being able to trade without any permission or without any uh, KYC is an absolute game changer on the other end, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Attacking it from both angles. But as the conversation of this episode has been Uh, around like how, like obviously ideally the non-custodial non-KYC AML solutions are probably best for the individual. Um, it's how do we, how do we make that more popular? Well, there's
1: trade-offs, right? I mean, you can trade some of your security, privacy, and freedom for convenience. And currently the whole world does this when they use a credit card or when they use a bank account They're, you know, it's like a common, uh, thing that Bitcoiners will tweet on Twitter, they'll say, "Yeah, when you put money in the bank, it's not your money anymore. You're just a creditor of the bank," and it's true. You're you're just trading all of your uh, basically individual rights for this yeah. little bit of convenience. Uh, but I'm confident. Well, I like
0: that convenience, but I'm also confident in the ability to sort of hide your trail off the app, right? Are you confident in that ability, or how would you recommend people using these centralized systems uh, act after they move their Bitcoin from them, or does it even matter? I,
1: I mean. Like I use this, um, I found one app where I can uh, charge like a prepaid Visa card uh, anonymously without KYC, but using Bitcoin. And um, eventually it like hits some limit and then you have to delete it and then reinstall the app and make a new one. But uh, because it's anonymous, you can just make infinite number of them, right? So that's kind of like a loophole I found. Um, Like in Japan, there's this another loophole I found where you can actually do anonymous bank transfers in Japan up to 100,000 yen, which is like $1,000. and. you can do an infinite amount of those, obviously. So, um, this, is, this is one thing I want to bake into BISC. Is where um, I actually, we, we added the Japan bank transfer payment method into BISC, but I want to add this like, uh, you know, anonymous bank transfer. So, you would know the bank info of the maker, but you wouldn't know the who's buying it from you, mm-hmm. right? Because you would just get this money deposited in your account, and they would put the BISC trade ID as their name, and then, they, and then you would send Bitcoin to their address, and you would have no idea who you transacted with, right?
0: So there'll be a bunch of, nine hundred ninety nine yen. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, damn man, what? Um, what else do we got here? It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for all you've done for Bitcoin over the everything. I haven't said thank you yet uh, in the space over the years. So I guess let's talk about the the altcoins and so, like so. Do you think um, any of them have merit? Like I'm going to talk about Ethereum in particular. Ethereum going to ETH 2.0 like people seem very bullish on it I've been talking to people more recently who are looking at the uh, the specs of what it's going to take to run a fully validating node on ETH 2.0 and validating the shards across each other if you're really like an exchange or something you're probably going to have to run five or six nodes to validate the char- shards across each other and some people are crunching the numbers saying uh, the node cost maybe upwards of like ten to $20,000 a month um,
1: and like, if that's the case, it's just security theater, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you need—if you want censorship resistance, it has to be decentralized. And to be decentralized, you have to have very small blocks and very—you know, you can't charge ten thousand dollars a month to run in full mode. So, I don't know. I mean, it will, why are they doing this? You know, why? What is the real goal here? Is it to help corporations do blockchainy stuff? they don't really need a blockchain for a lot of this stuff, right? It's just they could use a centralized database like they've been using for years and years. It's just uh, a lot of it I feel is not really justified. It's, uh, it's like this Rube Goldberg machine, right? You make this highly complicated blockchain, but for what you don't really gain any like, look, look at the, you know, the Dow bailout was a good example, right? If it was really, really decentralized, then you wouldn't have been able to bail out the Dow.
0: Yeah, and but it persists today. And that shocked me. And that's what, like, I was
3: interested in Ethereum a little bit up until the
1: Is I thought Ethereum is, is kind of dying now. I mean, what's the... Well, the price is pumping, right?
3: Well, according to Udi, Tron is, is going to
0: replace <laughs> Ethereum. I mean, apparently a uh, tether on Ethereum is a big use case now.
3: I think there's, there's a metaphor here uh, or an analogy. I don't know the difference between those two. But uh, between, like, BISC and all these so-called... Uh, Decentralized exchanges that literally just slap the word decentralized in front of it and they just say like oh We're a decentralized exchange, but it's just a marketing term to them Well, it's like
1: it's like an atomic swap, right? It's very it's like trivially easy to swap two tokens on the same blockchain You just have a smart contract that does this right? So is that an exchange or is that more of a swap?
3: Right. But I'm just saying, like, they're not even they have centralized market makers, they have centralized this or that. They're not actually trying to prioritize censorship resistance. They're taking VC funding. They have, a, you know, like a board that's like managing the token and all this stuff. Uh, But they just slap it on for marketing. There's no actual drive there to prioritize censorship resistance. Right. And that's what we see with Bitcoin is. Is the value prop is the censorship resistance? It's the immutability, right? So if you don't prioritize that, like you lose it, and and it's yeah, it's about long term priorities. Yeah. Um,
0: Steve, I haven't heard from you in a bit, man. What what drove you to this space, dude?
2: Um, so I actually have a background that's probably the polar opposite of Wiz. kind of <laughs> in terms of the early days, like through school and and my first jobs, I was. Uh, Always on the traditional path of, like, do well in school and get a good job. And I got out, got my first job, and, like, within the first month or two, I was like, this is it. And, like, I started learning. Like, I had so much free time at work, just bored not doing anything, that I started to look at some of the more fringe financial sites and discovered Mises.org and Zero Hedge and all these places. And it was just, like, a storm. Like, what is going on? Nothing is the way I thought it was. And so that's what eventually led me to Bitcoin and uh, this whole space. And questioning everything. I had a very similar path. I was sitting.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I love the people I work with and it was a great experience working for the fun that I did, but I was sitting there, I was like, again, bored most of the day, like yeah. reading about Bitcoin and then having to dress up in khakis and a button up and sit there for right. like eight hours straight. It was like, I, I physically like had an aversion to it. I had to yeah. actually quit on my birthday because nobody said happy birthday to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy that... It always surprised me. I've done 115 episodes of the show, Tales from the Crypt. We hear people's tales. It's crazy how many people have very similar tales. And it seems that this is almost common sense, especially if you have an understanding of how the system works. And it's um, it's something that makes me more confident in Bitcoin moving to the future. And I wish we could just make more people realize this quicker. So that's why we do this.
1: That's actually, like, one of the biggest fears, and uh, Greg Maxwell said this recently, like, the biggest threat to Bitcoin is that nobody will understand why censorship resistance is valuable. And uh, that, that pretty much sums it up, right? Like, in the, in the Ethereum versus Ethereum Classic debate really proved this to be true, is that most people have no clue um, why Bitcoin is valuable. In fact, if I, if I just tweet it out right now, like, why is Bitcoin valuable? You probably see some really wild answers. Um, you know, you really have to study, like, uh siphoning is doing this course right now like the principles of economics and he's talking about like the hardness of money and all these things and it's like once you start studying money you're like oh my god this is so obviously like fucked up we need yeah to like it. why would anyone do this fiat money system right it's, it's just horrible and then you learn that gold gold was the hardest money for thousands of years for all these very logical reasons and once you understand that reasoning then you'll see why bitcoin is going to be even better and why everyone will eventually move back to it, right? And, yeah, you just, you just got to study a tiny little bit, and then you're, you're red-pilled, you're woke, right? How do we get, stop people from being
0: apathetic? That's my biggest fear, too, is apathy. And, and again, we've talked about this, but they'll be forced to not be apathetic. Um, here in America in particular, because, again, another driving theme is, like, I had a boss when I was working at that fund. I was, again, I love the people I work with, Dimitri. He was born and raised in the USSR immigrated to the U.S. in the 90s, and he was the one really, like, spooked me. He was like, Marty, ever since, like, the Patriot Act, this is slowly turning into what I ran away from, like, in the 90s. And it's frogs boiling in water, but people are just used to convenience and the, you know, the culture in America right now is like... Drinking music about doing drugs and shit like that. It doesn't seem like we have like long-term goals to build. There's no space race right now. That's why I'm into Bitcoin because I think Bitcoin is like analogous to like a space race, something bigger than the individuals involved.
2: I think the, the doomsday scenarios are certainly there for like the big like uh, socialist communist kinds of uh, things that people have run away from in the past. But I think in this country, some of the motivators might be on a smaller scale so I remember like a few months ago I came across this guy who produced comic books and for some dumb reason he was kicked off PayPal and he had nowhere nowhere else he could no other way to accept money for his comic books and he was like oh I found Bitcoin and it was like the perfect thing because like nobody can kick kick me off of that and I've seen a couple other cases like that and I think a few you know a few more of those happen at scale I mean these companies are known to be kind of unpredictable just happened to Pornhub yeah (laughs) Yeah. I Is mean, that, that, that could certainly be a, a way, a motivator.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's just, it's almost like the, the people in control of the incumbent system are sowing its own demise, right? They're pushing people to the
2: edge to, to a point. You know, like gun You're sales, saying. I think like Bank of America or Citigroup, one of those people announced that they were not going to allow those vendors to use their products. Yeah. And like legal weed way. has this issue. Yeah. We yeah. see it all over yeah. the place. Exactly.
3: Yeah. People get burned and then they learn. And but it's very much a social movement, and people have to be vigilant and active and contribute. And yeah,
0: yeah,
1: you don't realize that you're a slave to this system until the system cuts you out, and you have no other choice but Bitcoin. And imagine just eleven years ago, you did not even have Bitcoin as a choice; you were just in this totalitarian banking system. It's a real, uh, it's a real eye opener when you see it like that. Yeah, yeah. It's um again. I'm excited to be
0: on the front lines with you, gentlemen. Is there anything? Uh, I don't want to force anything. Is there anything else you guys want to touch on in particular, Matt?
3: Well, I was actually kind of a little bit random, but I had this in my back of my head. Uh, how does like if there's a new market? How does that get decided on Bisc? Like if you if you want to add a, like a new fiat pair or or something like that, like. How does that proposal work? Does that go to the DAO? Does it get voted on? Or Yeah, that's a good question.
1: Um, we get a lot of um, ICO scams that want to add their token exactly. to BISC. And BISC has like a no ICO policy and a no Bcash policy. So basically no <laughs> scams. I love and, it. And, um, you know, because it's actually like it would make BISC look really bad if some scammers were selling their tokens on BISC and then, they, you know, the regulators are saying, oh, BISC is enabling these people to lose money, right? Mm-hmm. Um so, know,
3: yeah, so how does that work? How does that process work? Who's deciding?
1: Yeah. I mean, people make a pull request on GitHub to add their um, either asset or payment method. Assets are, assets are a lot easier to add than uh, payment methods. Payment methods, you usually have to do quite a bit of work. You have to make like the UI where you can, uh, you know, you know but, but assets, I mean, how many assets get added every month, would you say?
2: Probably like at least three or four with each new release. So that aspect is a little, that approval
3: process is still a little bit centralized, no?
2: No, I mean, the community, yeah,
3: Yeah.
1: the maintainers kind of, we have like a policy that the DAO, um, you know,
2: voted on some at some time in the past. And then the maintainers just kind of enforce that policy. Got it. So yeah, so the adding an asset is pretty much up to the maintainers and then removing an asset would be where the DAO would come in. True. So if for some reason, some asset that was really, controversial or became really controversial uh then you could you could put up a request to remove an asset in the dow as a proposal fair why no bcash in particular
1: because it's a scam yeah.
2: there were some legal uh concerns too because i think uh sometime about a year ago there were some exchanges being sued uh for i don't know the exact reasons but so there was some concern that this would attract the wrong kind of attention yeah that was the origin of it but of course no, I mean it's they were anyway. <laughs> they were
1: marketing uh, Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin, which is right. an obvious sly and it's a scam.
2: Yeah,
0: what do you? That's actually while we're on this topic, what do you think happens once uh, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV, I guess, too, hit their having uh, like five thousand like they're what five thousand blocks ahead of Bitcoin? Like, will that be the end of these chains? You think of having?
1: I don't know. There's uh, you know, there's some coins that have been around for a long time. Um, you know the well, the nature shot to fifty-six mining too, right? Like, wouldn't those miners still? I mean, yeah, they could get fifty-one percent attacked any day now. It's right? weird; it hasn't happened yet, right? Yeah, Are, I've well, been surprised. I want
0: more chain attacks.
1: Well, you know, yeah, it's interesting, right? Because there was all this B cash like um, conspiracy theories that Blockstream was trying to kill B cash, and now they could literally do it like whenever they wanted, but. Blockstream has, like, such a, a great reputation, like, as, you know, like, why would they even want to burn their own reputation just to destroy this scam coin that's just going to die out on its own natural course, right? It makes no sense. And, um, you know, they have a lot of, they have, like, big pockets, right? They have a big budget supporting it. They have market maker bots to do this. They have, like, a huge marketing team, all kinds of sponsored content on, uh, you know. They have Bcash.
3: Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just... And it's a liquid, so it's easy to try and prop up the price. They press. got forced hard forks in, right? I have no idea. I saw uh, too much B cash conversation. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? I was just really surprised because I was. I remember when it was the game theory of Bitcoin mining and running a node and stuff is like one of my favorite aspects of Bitcoin. Um, mm. and I get really excited just thinking about it and running through scenarios, and I just. I was completely wrong about um, I thought Bitcoin cash and SV would have gotten attacked way long ago right, cause you and I'm
1: short s- it and then attack it and yeah. then make some huge profits. And I'm sure there are some uh, you know crypto anarchists out there that that will eventually do it one as, day. Yeah. yeah. Cuz the ASICs are getting more and more powerful every day. You know, people are building uh, huge mining farms every day. It's it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Do you Monacoin uh, in Japan got a block withholding attack and a few other like minor, like small chains, um, had these like block withholding attacks, um, which is actually very easy to do. You don't need 51%. You only need like 10% and then you can try it in secret and you just try it like 10 times and your 10% of hash power will just by pure luck be, um, solve like 50% of the blocks in this short time. And you can do a block withholding attack on an exchange and basically rip off the exchange. So, you know, the only real defense against that is just increasing the number of confirmations. But at some point, they're going to realize, like, there's no number of confirmations that would make these uh, cryptocurrencies secure, right? You can, can't so, really have one, more than one um, with the same mining algorithm, ASIC, out there. Well, it's funny how many times you have to learn this
0: lesson, right? Because Namecoin was probably the first to learn this lesson, right? That's like Ryan true. Uh... Feathercoin.
1: I wasn't like Aurora Coin too got like forked into a building. There's like five hard forks all at the same time or something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's actually, uh, that was actually one of the first uh, Bitcoin events I went to, was here in the city to hear Ryan Shea present on why Namecoin didn't work out in the end Mm. because they were sharing SHOT 256. Um, It's interesting. And like, but that was a real shame because Satoshi was like really behind
1: Namecoin. Yeah. Because it was like, I was trying to do DNS or something. No. Right. Just, he didn't want to have all the, uh, the domain, like the namespace mixed in with the money, right? Because, because at the end of the day, like you can only have like one, um, hard money, which is obviously Bitcoin, right? So all these other like Litecoin or Bcash or all these just basically copycats that copy Bitcoin and tweak a few things and say we're better. Um, that's not really how hard money works, right? It's about the hardness of the money and and the underlying economic things. And then you have the security of it, which we're talking about now is like, you're going to put all your life savings in Bcash or in risk of 51% attack, or are you going to put it in Bitcoin where you know it's like very safe that it's going to hold its value over time. And all these offshoots that
0: pitch themselves based off of technical details really, uh, under or, uh, undervalue the social aspect of it, all the social layer of Bitcoiners running the network and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Marketing works. Um, you know, like uninformed masses will go to the shitcoin casinos and they'll, uh, FOMO and they'll gamble and they will, you know, they'll learn the hard way.
0: Is this a Gotta lesson? touch the stove. <laughs> Is this a lesson that's gonna happen into perpetuity or do you see like
1: shitcoinery fading out? I don't know, it, it, it became easier and easier every um, iteration of shitcoins. Remember in the beginning there was like, you had to actually uh, copy Bitcoin and um, rename it and do mining. You actually had to make like some proof of work Algorithm, and then you had like Feathercoin. That was like the first iteration of altcoins, right? Right. There's mul-
0: f- multi-script mining stuff like that. Oh yeah,
1: there was like ten different algorithms in one, and all these things, and then those all that. I mean, there's even stuff like Hawaii Coin and like stuff you never. Zeta Coin. Yeah, and then became like the Ethereum ERC twenty tokens was I think like the next big wave, right? So it became like much easier. You could literally just click a button and deploy a smart contract. Uh, and, and do it. And now maybe the next wave will be like Bitcoin sidechains or something like this, where you have some kind of uh, virtual assets. They're probably not going to go after the the hard money argument because by that time, it'll probably be more obvious to the uninformed masses that Bitcoin is the hard money. They'll probably try and do some other, like what Ethereum's trying to do now, where they're trying to move away. From, I don't know. Is it money or is it not? They, I don't know what they're going to market it they as. They seem conflicted. Yeah, I mean...
3: At some point, they have to admit... Defeat. Unstoppable applications. World computer. Torn, yeah. Torn complete.
1: It'll run on a Raspberry Pi,
3: right? <laughs> I think like, that was one of the big things about the 2017 altcoin pump was, that, was the flippening narrative, right? So I feel like that flippening narrative will subside. Like People won't believe that, that you could replace Bitcoin, but there'll still obviously be shitcoins going around and people trading them and being greedy and gambling on it. It's like one of the primary use cases of Bitcoin, whether you like it or not. Yeah,
0: everyone's a scammer. Beware, freaks. Uh, did you ever? Were you, I mean, BISC is a big trading platform. Do you guys like trade personally, markets or? Yeah.
1: I don't know. I don't. No. Well, I don't know. I mean, this is a privacy-oriented platform, that's true. right? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's true. See, Very nobody true. knows. <laughs> that's the whole point. But uh, if you ask uh, CZ at Binance, he could tell you your whole trading history.
0: Yeah, we'll give you uh, a picture of yourself holding your passport right back to you, too.
1: ID selfie. Yeah, I made a joke on our uh, internal chat channel the other day. Um, Feedback here, sorry, freeze. Oh, no, there we go. Uh, yeah, I made a joke on our internal chat the other day um, I said, oh no, someone impersonated me on the chat and uh, they told Steve to send all the customer holdings to this scammer and they stole all the customer holdings off of BISC. And one of the guys in the chat was like, what, really? And I was like, no, dude, like BISC doesn't hold any customer funds. All the money is on your hardware, on your private keys. Like, that's the whole point. It's off. And they're like, oh. And then the whole, you know, everyone was like, lol and stuff. It's it's like once you realize that. this is a better system, you know. There's no risk of this ID selfie leak. There's no risk of uh, passports being leaked. It's just, you, you solve all those problems by avoiding it entirely, uh-huh. by working around it.
0: Do you think we get a lot of pushback from governments? This is this going to be a long, drawn-out battle? Or do you think?
1: You know, not so much, because I live in Japan, and I, and I think the biggest concern of at least the Japanese government is they don't want Japanese people to lose money, because they, they want another Mt. Gox situation, right? They had... Mount Gox, uh Coincheck, Zeyf, Bitpoint—all of these Japanese exchanges were hacked. I mean, there's only like twenty-something licensed, and four of them were hacked. So it's it's not like you know the best record. And um, yeah, the, anyway, the the point is because Bisc doesn't hold any funds, there's no risk of this. And more importantly, even if you wanted to regulate Bisc, you couldn't because it's just this open source software that everyone runs, right? So you can't show up at the Bisc corporate headquarters with you know. Uh, police or something and and uh, demanded because we're not we don't have to abide by any jurisdiction because we're not a company We're just this community of individuals and it's so powerful, right?
3: Well, I feel like the way you would do it is you would You would like insert Undercover agents into one side of the trade, right? Like that's kind of what they did with local bitcoins in America at least uh, is is You would be trading with someone and that person was an undercover agent and then once you hit a certain amount uh, They would like hit you with money laundering or something like that. I think
1: that was a big uh, scare tactic by like some kind of propaganda, government propaganda.
3: They probably did it like once. Yeah, of, you know, and then you scare the shit out of yeah, everyone. that's the key, and then you 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 scare them into compliance. The like, U.S. That's...
1: government is very good at this fear tactic that the system will get you if you right. do anything bad. So you better conform. You better pay your taxes, citizen. You know,
3: no thought. But I like see that attack vector coming. Like that's like that's the move they make. Is is they like say you have to disclose your Bitcoin. And, like not even just in Bisc. Like oh, you have to disclose your Bitcoin, and then they pick like one or two people. Uh, they throw the book at them and then scare 70 80% into compliance stuff like that I mean right? we can we
1: can improve the privacy yeah. you know cipherpunks will adapt then at the end of the day the cypherpunks will always win over the status the governments of the world i don't know steve what do you think
2: oh, i agree i mean i think the account signing is a great example of this i mean you you would think that if you can't solve the problem of fraud with the traditional KYC like that it's not a solved problem like right. exchanges and all kinds of financial financial institutions Uh, can't solve the problem with all of these overly uh, sophisticated KYC measures. How would a super highly private network do that? Well, we found a way with account signing, and it's just going to become better and better over time. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty confident whatever obstacles, we'll find a way. Right, if your account is signed, it
1: it shows the account age, like, oh, this account's six months old, and he's posted a bond. So he's putting his own money up to stake. It's like, yeah, this right. This guy's not going to scam me. You can feel relatively confident, right? Why would this? Why would this? Why would a scammer like work for six months and put his own money on the line just to to you know uh, screw me over like a thousand dollars or something? He could have like right. ten thousand, or maybe some whale market makers would put a huge amount of stake on there just so that they would have the highest reputation score. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is this is uh, this is basically it, right? KYC. It doesn't actually solve a security problem. It just invades everyone's privacy so that it kind of uh, Maybe reduces it a little bit, but if you actually make a secure system, then you don't need KYC And this is so obvious to the cypherpunks, right? Yeah, well and then
0: as more and more of these dumps happen like it just becomes like KYC it's number one. It seems so stupid then you're like obviously this is so stupid like and then you start thinking like are there alternative motives for this like is it evil right like
1: intentionally evil you ever use um what was that, i think uh, wechat pay in china this i've is, never used it this know. is the worst thing i've ever seen and if you ask any person in china they'll say you cannot live without wechat um in japan or I mean, well, in korea they use like kakao or naver and um in japan they use line in usa they use like facebook and whatsapp like you you tell the average american like yeah delete your facebook delete your whatsapp they're like oh no i use that to c- talk to everyone but it's obviously backdoored by the government and uh you know they're they're doing this mass surveillance if if the government has this much of a a, you know a stronghold in all of your personal connections all of your financial transactions they can just seize your account anytime i mean i don't know we have to we have to educate the masses we have to really free the slaves you know it's just
0: that's what we're trying to do here like is there any God damn it, this fucking feedback. I don't know what it is. I think it's one of the new. You know what it is? It's this. Um, But, um, fuck, what was I going to say? I just lost track because of the feedback. Um, What what was your last comment there?
1: China, WeChat, Facebook.
0: Oh, China, WeChat. So uh, that's something I actually wrote about earlier this week is that uh, prototype that was proven on the, the Lightning Network. What's that? Mm -hmm. Um, so you can, you can basically build a WeChat on top
1: of Bitcoin, right? Like they they built like a messaging system. I don't think that's the correct usage of like Bitcoin is kind of like this, um, payment network. Mm -hmm. If you want to build like a censorship resistant chat app, uh, probably Tor is the correct network to build on top, build that on, not Bitcoin. Bitcoin is like a totally different use case. It's going to be extremely expensive. I'm not sure why you would build a chat network on top of a payment network.
0: It uh, well, was an interesting. Like You could send messages via Lightning. Well, this guy was doing it without uh, spending any money,
3: but uh, he...
1: Yeah, Tor is free.
3: Yeah. Well, one of the things I think is cool is that you can use like a Lightning public key as a, uh, like an identity system or like a reputation system, but you don't have to actually run the actual messages through the network to do that.
1: Yeah, Tor has an identity yeah. system. The onion addresses exactly. the public key hash. Yeah. Yeah,
3: um, yeah I don't understand yeah. that. I thought what was interesting, I would just wanted to go back a little bit, is that uh, you mentioned earlier and then it kind of went off in a tangent, and I've seen you mention <laughs> it on Twitter too. Uh, and it's a strategy that I prescribe to as well, is in this intermediate gap where you know you might need to use WhatsApp or you might need to use WeChat or something, it's important. A, a good strategy to use is to basically have two different devices. You have like your KYC device, and then you have your private more, you know.
1: Uh... Yeah, there's, there's some loopholes you can do. Um, you might want to have like an iPhone that's totally kyc and a Graphene OS, which is a privacy-oriented fork of Android um, device for your lockdown apps, and just kind of separate the two. Because it's, it's basically free to make a new online identity, right? yeah i don't know there's, there's a lot of loopholes you can exploit um i i'm obviously like you know against using any uh backdoor app but the, but a lot of people will use them for some purposes i i, I mean, like,
3: use twitter right
1: yeah on my iphone but not on my exactly android yeah that's
3: the key is that separation the isolation yeah it's
1: just it, it, it depends on your you know any security depends on your threat model and you got to have like a multi-layered uh solution i guess that's a whole conversation in itself. It, I mean, is it is, are you worried about the government seeing who you uh, talk to online? Are you worried about the government seeing your financial transactions? You know, you have to take that specific threat model and either mix your coins or, you know, use Keybase or some other uh, privacy oriented chat app. I mean, there's, there's different things you can do. Depends on the exact problem. And there's a lot of nuance. There. Sure. I mean, it's not like use Signal, use tour, and then that solves all your right. problems, right? It's- <laughs> privacy
3: will never be. Do you think like privacy will never be uh, the most convenient option, just because of the trade-offs?
1: No, it can be. It, it's just that it's always easier to implement, uh, you know, like an unprivate right. uh, system. Mm-hmm. It's always easier. It's always easier to just say, "All right, everyone, put all their money in this uh, box, right? And if someone steals the box, oh well." Versus um, if you actually make a secure system, then you, know, you would never do something silly. So yeah, it's, 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 it's like a lot of work and people like to take shortcuts and they like to sacrifice security and privacy and freedom because they don't value it or they don't appreciate it as much or they trust people they shouldn't trust, right? It's like the more business deals you do, the more conflicts you have, the more you realize that a trustless system is probably a better way for the world to interact with each other. Like imagine how much money is is scammed every day off credit cards, and if you pay with cash, you're kind of subsidizing this fraud because uh, you don't get like a 3% discount if you pay cash, right? So, you you know, there's a lot of uh, trade-off systems. No, it
0: it was... Speaking of the credit card fraud, like, that was, like, a, a Vice documentary that they actually took down because I think it was so powerful in showing how to easily <laughs> pull off credit card fraud. They were using Bitcoin on the dark web to buy, basically, credit cards. Oh, yeah. Cards and millions credit of Credit card companies
1: don't want you to know about about this. I think it was um, Mythbusters also did a an episode about how easy it was to hack credit cards. And, like, they said, like, the general counsel of, like, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, like, just called them up and was, like, yo you are not going to do this episode. We're going to sue you. And, you know, of course they're like a TV network. They're like, okay, you know, back down immediately. So yeah, I mean, those, those, scare tactic works, they have a lot to lose. Um, it's like multi-billion dollar industry, right? Like if you're taking, it's like a tax, right? So you're taking like 3% of every credit card transaction in the whole world every day. And, uh, yeah, they don't want that machine to stop.
0: No, no. And it's, I mean, again, Bitcoin being a push system solves this. And that's something actually the company I work for is an online uh, ad platform and they uh, deal with a lot of publishers and had a huge credit card uh, chargeback problem and started accepting Bitcoin in like 2014 because of that specifically. So and it, it does work.
1: You ever uh, try to use your credit card for something and then the bank blocks it because they suspect you're like a uh, fraudulent transaction and then you just pay with Bitcoin instead and of course it works perfectly fine. Oh, I wish I could do that. Nobody accepts Bitcoin in the city. Again, this happened to me three
0: times in the last month and I'm sitting there trying to pay a bill at a bar or something looking like an asshole and like waiting for that text from my bank. So I can reply <laughs> yes, I'm using my card. Like, um, if, they, if they had... Provided a QR code, I would have gladly played. You know, the
1: other payment method that uh, cannot get declined is uh, cash.
0: Yes, I'm a big cash guy. (laughs) Always got a lot of cash on me. That's what actually I I was introduced to money uh, via cash. I worked at a hot dog stand uh, in South Jersey every summer, starting at age 13 to 21. And I got paid out in cash every day. So I have a very big uh, emotional affinity to cash there. It's good. It feels good to have like a wad of cash and just be able to pull it out. And
1: and when did you get your first paycheck and notice that they took half? (sighs) And
0: when I, when I, when I, I I started working at a bar. Uh, During the school year, my senior year of high school, and that's when that happened.
1: I heard that uh, in USA, like bartenders make most of their money off the tips. Tips, Yeah, and like they usually just paid on the books, like minimum wage or something to like less than minimum
3: wage. Like you get paid three bucks an hour, and you depend on tips.
1: How could it do less than minimum wage? It's
0: it's (laughs) it's a weird loop. And
3: there's a carve out for the service industry. As long as your tips pass the minimum wage, like broken down. yeah. Might as well not even get the the minimum wage then and just... Yeah, exactly. But now it's actually a problem because most people are paying with credit cards. Right, right, Um, right. Like, I've I've seen in this city uh, the move to cashlessness... And it hasn't even been pushed by the government. It's, it's, a, it's a better UX. It's pushed yeah. by the coffee shops. Yeah, it's, it's pushed the by the... Go-
0: you bought this coffee. You can't use cash there. Yeah, I couldn't use
3: really? cash it. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's legal tender for all debts, public and private. Yeah. It says on the bank now. Uh, that's why I'm
0: actually, I'm actually pumped to be from Philadelphia, where historically very liberal city uh, <laughs> made it illegal for companies or businesses not to accept cash. Like so if they try to go credit cardless, they can't.
3: But even the places that accept cash, like people have a desire to pay with their Apple Pay or their, you know, their credit card UX. or whatever. Yeah. Think about it. It's it's like you have to count
1: out all these bills and coins
3: and it's like, It's like dirty
1: money. And oh yeah, I just tap my phone and it's so easy and so cool and I get some points, you know. And they they give you all oh, these. Uh, you should have seen how fast this motherfucker
0: <laughs> fell into the face ID. Like they picked up a. An well, I fucking the fact
3: that the fact that there's, a, the the fact that there's no fingerprint <laughs> is ridiculous. Is that there's no fingerprint reader on the fucking iPhone? Yeah. But yeah, I just bought my first iPhone uh, through my work. They provided it, uh, and now I'm experimenting with uh, graphene uh, oh, yeah. on an Android, basically like fully lock it down. It has the fingerprint um, sensor on the back. Really cool. Well, i what?
1: Uh, oh, I have a three yeah. A, which is Pixel. Yeah, it has a
3: yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I like I like the, you know, I I think I think you turn off the biometric when you're like going through uh like border crossings stuff like that and you also just try and like keep it, you know, you keep it separate. You try and keep everything uh, isolated, but there's no there's no perfect solution here. You don't want to enter your, you know, your 20-digit passphrase like in front of people. Yeah. Um so like
1: Android has that really cool like pattern which yeah. is actually like um if you make, well, it depends on if you make it stupid or make it hard to guess, right? But yeah, if you make a cool Android pattern, that could actually be um, like mathematically much harder to crack than a, than a number, I think, even, right? You can make the grid like eight by eight. Right. Or something crazy, yeah. But. Uh, you can make it mathematically
0: harder. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Random connection. Because if you
1: think about like how many possible chess moves are there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's like uh, you you know you need like some kind of uh, quantum computer to calculate this. But how many numbers can you put in on like eight digits? Well, yeah, that's only like what 100 million, so.
0: Yeah.
1: Fascinating. This has been incredible.
0: Almost two hours. Fuck, man. Um, I can't believe you flew to New York to come speak to us. We don't. We don't deserve that type of uh, that type of love, man.
1: Oh yeah. Well, you guys are cool. So. Yeah. Missed, uh, American Hodel also uh, flew to you to meet you guys too, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Short flight funny. though.
0: Shorter flight. Oh,
3: don't dox him now. I'm not going to, but it was shorter. <laughs> Most places are shorter than where you came from, so
0: Yeah. Um, ah, it's fun. It's just, it's crazy being able to meet uh, people I've been following online for and admiring from afar for, for a while now. Again. Thank you for what you're doing, Steve, working on, on BISC. BISC is incredibly let's send it on BISC. What what like it's an incredibly important project in the
2: space. Um, how can people help? Oh, just follow the project on GitHub, uh, join our key base, and just get a pulse for what's going on and where you can possibly help. We, I think it's a common misconception that we only need developers. Developers are certainly very important and we could use more, but uh, we can use help across a whole number of functions. So no matter what you do, there's probably a way you can fit in.
1: We don't need uh, developers. We need cypherpunks. We need yeah. Bitcoiners. We need the real um crypto anarchists who want to be part of this really cool thing because you know you look at bitcoin they have all the vc funding of hundreds of developers working on bitcoin and lightning you know there's like three different implementations all vc backed but Bisc is like totally bootstrapped from the community directly and uh you know if you're used to like a like a steady paycheck every month this is um this is like a big change right because now you're Basically making your, setting your own salary, uh, submitting to the DAO for compensation and you know, trading on this purely uh, private and free exchange. Like, If you're a real cypherpunk, you will just fall in love with BISC. And even if you're just a, a Bitcoiner, you'll love trading on BISC. And uh, yeah, it's just, I think it's the coolest project to work on right now. Agreed. Got anything intended on here, Matthew?
3: Fuck yes, BISC is awesome.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Again, thank you for your time, guys been a pleasure. Peace and love, freaks.